Hello, and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Miller and Rachel Seedman. And in each episode, we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Cheers. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Adina. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? You know, I also am wonderful. <laughs> so before we start out this episode of the podcast, I just wanted to share that we did get a new review on Apple Podcasts. I'm very Yay. excited. It, from Jane. And it is entitled, This Podcast is Delightful, but dot, dot, dot. But what I mean by delightful is that it is badass. I love the synergy between these two and the fun, interesting facts that they bring. As an adult, I want adult Disney. And well, I got just that. The Hercules episode was by far my favorite. I love hearing it tie back to Greek mythology and all the random tidbits they share. 1,000% recommend to anyone who wants a deep dive into the heart of great movies. Oh, Jane, stop. Stop. I know. It's so nice. It, it made me, wow. like, today was kind of a crappy day, and it made me really happy to see that. So, yeah. Jane, thank you. And anyone else, if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would love that, and we will give you a nice shout-out on the pod. Absolutely. So, Adina, what are we, what are we watching today? Well, earlier this week, we watched A Bug's Life. Yes. And I'm very excited to discuss this movie. It came out on November 25th, 1998. It was the second film produced by Pixar after Toy Story, of course. And it was directed by John Lasseter and Andrew Stanton, who was also the writer for the film. So before we jump into this movie, Rachel... Yes. We have our first ever guest joining us on the podcast. We do. We do. <laughs> Listeners, please welcome my dear friend, David Marius, who is joining us virtually from Washington, D.C. Hi, David. Hey there. Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> so David and I have known each other practically our whole lives. I, we're going on 27 years here. We went to preschool together, and every day in preschool, David would wear <laughs> a Superman cape, so he affectionately gained the nickname in our house, Cape Boy. It's a great cape. <laughs> it's still fil- It's actually uh, framed right now in my childhood bedroom. That was a bonus for a present. My mom framed it in a shadow box and put it up there, and it is a, uh, is a piece of uh, David history that will live forever, or until it disintegrates, <laughs> you know, one of the two. That's amazing. So the three of us have actually all been together at the same time. Just one time. That was at my junior year formal, Rachel's senior year formal. David, you lovingly came down to be my date because I'd had a bad year. (laughs) Uh, So we will share a cute photo of us while lovingly cropping Rachel's date out from that photo. Yikes. So David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I've embarrassed you slightly. uh, And why we specifically asked you to join us for this episode of the podcast. I was going to say, if that's your way of embarrassing me, I, I, I got it easy this time. Whew, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, based in Washington, D.C., you know, from a small uh, village of uh, Los Angeles, not too far away from Medina and Rachel, <laughs> and working in the nonprofit space out here. But I, I guess the reason I'm here is that I went to UC Davis and had a very interesting uh, major of entomology, which is the study of insects. But I, I guess, you know, here to talk about some insects and some bugs, and the bug's life is a uh, it's an interesting adaptation of insects in the world, and I have some very, very strong feelings about it, to say the least. And that is definitely the reason that I wanted you to be on this episode, because I knew that you would have a very different take than the two of us who know nothing about insects. Well, Rachel, I don't know if you know anything about insects. I personally don't. 
I could tell you what a bug is, but that's kind Can of. Can you? Uh, oh, let's start I mean, there. No. <laughs> no. No pressure. Let's hear it. Come on. I know the difference between like the whole arachnid situation and the legs and the body shapes and shit like that, but that's about my limit of bug knowledge. So well, uh, I'm not the expert here. So, so for all of your listeners, to actually make it easy, you hit a lot of the important parts there. So insects are in the class Insecta. Uh, they have some really specific characteristics. They have an exoskeleton made of chitin. They have three body parts, a head, thorax, and abdomen. They have three pairs of jointed legs, and they have um, a pair of antenna and compound eyes, really the characteristics for an insect. Um, arachnids will have eight legs, so they're not going to be insects. They're related, but not that close in that sense there. But yeah, you're actually pretty close there in most of those things. Good job, Rachel. Nailed it. That's me. <laughs> So the the first thing that we always do when we're introducing a movie is uh, we get a little description of it. 2021 has been very kind to you, Rachel, in terms of movie descriptions. To me, not so much. No. So I'm going to read the Disney Plus description, and then I'm going to read you the one that I wrote. I, I took a page from your book. How the tables have turned. How they have. I know. Next time I should pick a movie based on what the Disney Plus description is. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. That's too much work. Okay. Disney Plus description. Embark on an incredible journey with one little ant searching for a band of warriors to help him battle the bullying grasshoppers who threaten his home. That tells me nothing. There's really... Not a lot of the actual story in that description. No. So I took a page from Rachel's book and uh, wrote my own little description. Please. Every year, a huge colony of ants is threatened into collecting every piece of food that grows on their island for a group of menacing grasshoppers. When misfit inventor ant Flick accidentally knocks over the offering pile, villainous Hopper forces the ants to double the offering in a matter of months or else he cannot guarantee their safety. Desperate to help save the colony, Flick volunteers to go out into the world and search for a group of warrior bugs. Instead, he recruits a group of insects that turn out to be an inept circus troupe. But when the grasshoppers return to take control of the island, Flick and the circus bugs must hatch a plan to save the colony. I really liked your use of hatch a plan. Um, so far, that's my favorite part of what you just said. Oh my God, that, rude. No, no, not, I, meant that, I meant that was like the top of already a really oh, okay, good okay, list okay, okay. of favorite things. Thank you. Good save. But yeah, thank you. No, Disney Plus, again, you want to hire the girls at Disney Rewind because we're more than happy to help you out. That was fantastic. That was more descriptive. I thought so. Gave us a little bit of backstory, but does not go too much into detail. So, no. Rachel, I have described the movie, and yes. what wine will the three of us be drinking today? I am so happy that you asked. So, today, we are all three going to be drinking from the Michael David Winery, the Petite Petite, which is going to be their Petite Syrah. Now, I'm very excited. I personally... I love Petite Syrah. It is big, it is bold, it is huge, and I'm very excited. So I'm going to read to you the tasting notes that they had on the website, then we can take a sip, and then we'll get into, there's a lot about Petite Syrah. Fantastic. Like elephants whose size is imposing, Petite Petite is large. Offering a joyous explosion of color and fun, it is a substantial, dense, full-bodied, whopper style of wine loaded with pure black fruit and vanilla flavors that coat the palate. It reveals remarkable richness with a finish that is slightly dry and seems to linger. 
It is comprised of 85% Petite Syrah and 15% Petite Verdot. Petite Petite is a large, weighty, knock-your-socks-off type of wine. Showcasing aromas of dark fruit, raspberry, and fig, this wine is layered with rich flavors of black cherry, cola, and light oak on the palate. Dark, full-bodied, and deeply satisfying. Okay, so with that, that is a big description for a Petite Syrah. Uh, uh, good one. Thank you. That It's just getting started. So with that, everybody, cheers. 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 That is so good. It's so good. Wow. I love Petite Syrah. This is fantastic. So I was a little worried because last week we also had a full-bodied red. So I didn't know how the two were going to compare to each other, but they're very, very different. They're As very I mentioned different. last week. Syrah is definitely not Petite Syrah. So Rachel, why don't you tell us more about Petite Syrah? I would love to tell you about the Petite Syrah. Yeah, that's, let's just start there. You're wondering why I chose this wine for this movie. I have three reasons. Numero uno, I wanted to do Petite because it's a bug's life. Everything's little. I want to do the little grape for my little bugs. David's losing it over there. Oh, I'm trying so hard not to laugh over you. It's entertaining and the the ball is next to me. I feel like I'm going to guess another reason in a second. (laughs) Oh, you are absolutely right on your next reason. Number two, I'm sure you can guess for everybody looking at the bottle, it's a circus. So for our circus troupe of our insects, I had to celebrate them all with a circus wine. And finally... As we have mentioned, this is our very first Pixar movie, and Pixar is a Northern California studio, and so I wanted to do a little nod in doing Northern California wine. So I went with the Lodi region of this wine. Some interesting things, actually, about Petite Syrah, as Adina has already mentioned, it is not a petite version of Syrah. They are different grapes. They are different varietals. Different spelling as well. It does have a different spelling. Instead of the regular Syrah of S-Y-R-A-H, this is S-I-R-A-H. Additionally, something that I actually kind of knew, didn't really know, is that the grape of Petite Syrah is pretty rare. There's less than 10,000 planted acres worldwide, and it's mostly grown in California. So me living in California in a region that does grow Petite Syrah, I thought it was way more common, but it's actually, I mean, 10,000 acre, acres worldwide. That's like nothing. That's not a lot. No. And David actually has family in Lodi. So perhaps you should reach the, reach out to them and see if they have been to this vineyard. David. They might have for all we know. I would hope so, because if they haven't, they should, because it was indeed voted the 2020 American Winery of the Year by Wine Enthusiast. Oh, wow. Casual. So if they haven't gone to the Michael David Winery, they absolutely should. If this is not Syrah, why is it called Petite Syrah? Because it was actually created by a botanist in 1880 named Francois Durif, and he combined the Syrah grape with Pelusin, which is a nearly extinct varietal of the grape that's only found in the French Alps. So Petite Syrah, pretty rare. Where it came from, also pretty rare. And it was brought over to California in the late 1880s. We always like to talk about what you should eat, what do you see with the colors, all of that. So as Adina and David and I can all see, this is an incredibly dark 
color for this wine. It is one of the deepest red wines, but because of that, it also makes it incredibly high in antioxidants. So, hmm. you know, it's the new year. You want to be healthy, drink some Petite Syrah. Why not? Cool. cool, um, cool. Yeah, that's going to solve all your problems. <laughs> Just drink the Petite Syrah. People who are experts when it comes to wine mm. recommend to drink Petite Syrah with very, very bold foods. So, and nothing sweet. The sweeter the food you pair it with, the worse the pairing is going to be. So if you can have some really intense flavors, as a fun Seedman family fact, we drink Petite Syrah every year for Thanksgiving with our barbecued turkey. And yes, Mm. we barbecue our turkey and it is delicious pairing. So the Lodi Petite Syrah is that inky opaque color bursting with, dare I say it, jammy fruit. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) happening jammy fruit so you should expect aromas and i think you're definitely getting that here with many petite syrahs of blackberry jam brambles and black pepper it's very high in fruit body and tannin and alcohol but it's very smooth and softer on the acidity now a little bit about michael and david phillips for their winery that is the 2020 wine enthusiast american winery of the year They are fifth generation grape growers. So their family has been growing grapes for over 150 years. Uh, And actually there's now a sixth generation as their kids are getting involved in the family business. So fun. I know. This type of wine follows the Lodi rules, which are over 100 standards that account for all aspects of making a quality wine in a sustainable manner. And it looks at environmental, social, and economic factors. So Something I really like about Lodi Wines is they have these standards. They have a hundred of these standards to make sure that they're doing things in the best sustainable manner. We love sustainability on the podcast. That we do. Do you think they'll have like meetings once a year, like a conference where all the wineries get together and address the standards and sort of like a conference and there's a parliamentary fight at some point over someone, you know, trying to change the standard the wrong way and it devolves into some form of like a wine (laughs) bar fight or something? I'm just imagining it happening and just like completely going into chaos, almost like Western style, the clear pianos go and people have the wine bottles arguing over the rule of, can you use this much sulfite in the wine or it could be this little or how the legs look like i'm just saying it completely just dissolve the chaos or devolve into chaos i think this would make a very good hbo miniseries called yes. the 100 and it's the lodi rules their standards <laughs> i would watch it same my dad would also watch it <laughs> See, we, we're on to something. Also, HBO, feel free to hire us. You know, either way. My last fact, as we've now been bringing out with every single wine recently, is when when is Petite Syrah celebrated? When is it? Lodi actually celebrates an entire Petite Syrah celebration weekend in January. Ah, damn it. <laughs> I know. We just missed it. However... They didn't do it this year because of COVID, but the last time they did it was the weekend of January 18th and 19th in Lodi. All of the wineries that have Petite Syrah have these little passports and you go around and you celebrate Petite Syrah. So stay tuned next January and you'll have some Petite Syrah celebrations. You can do like a live blog uh, podcast and go winery. We have to go. That would be amazing. I'm very down to go on a Petite Syrah celebration tour of Lodi. <laughs> David will stay at your family's house. Yeah. That works. They're, they're big wine people. We can do that. Perfect. I love this wine. It is very tasty. Let's get into some fun facts about this movie. Let's. 
The storyline of A Bug's Life originated at a lunchtime conversation between some of our big names, John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, Pete Docter, and Joe Rampt, the studio's head story team. Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and WALL-E were all conceived at this lunch as well. So clearly it was very productive. That's an important lunch. Do we know where they had this lunch? Like what restaurant this was? We need some divine inspiration. Just go there and get lunch and see what happens. I'm picturing like an Italian pasta, like big bowls of spaghetti and meatballs. I don't know why. I was thinking like a Red Robin at the bottom was French fries. <laughs> I was thinking outside on some like little garden patio terrace style okay. thing with lots of wine. Very much. Definitely a lot of wine. Yeah. Um, so Lasseter and the story team had already like been drawn to this idea of drawing insects as characters because like toys, they were within the reach of the computer animation at the time because they were relatively simple surfaces. Stanton and, Ram and Ramft wondered whether they could find a starting point in Aesop's fable, The Ant and the Grasshopper, which is what this movie is based off of. The Ant and the Grasshopper fable describes how a hungry grasshopper begs for food from an ant when winter comes and is refused. Basically, the situation sums up moral lessons about the virtues of hard work and planning for the future, which, I mean, there is that element to it, but I'm very glad that they picked a better protagonist in the end because there is not an ant protagonist in this Aesop's fable. It is just this grasshopper comes to dismay because he has not prepared for the winter. Editor Lee Unkrich, who is a name that you will see in many a Pixar film, he is a legend. He revealed that they did consider calling the film Bug Story, but they did not want to be known as the studio that only released blank story movies. This film was like a very massive undertaking for Pixar. This movie required a server seven times as large as the one that they used for Toy Story. <laughs> but that is not all. The production also required an additional, in addition to, to Toy Story, 23 additional animators, 60 more shots, 270 more models and shaders, and 1,055 more feet, as in the feet of these little tiny creatures, than Toy Story did. <laughs> Whoa. And each of the group shots, there are tons of group shots, be it from like 20 ants to 200 ants. Those are all individually animated. Those are not like in 101 Dalmatians, we talked about the Xerox technique because they didn't want to hand draw 101 Dalmatians by hand. But it's now the 90s. There's more money. So what are they going to do? They're going to animate 200 plus ants. I'm just imagining Reasonable. this was first day they're being like, so what am I doing? You're animating the ants. Oh, what about them? You're making feet. 200 <laughs> pairs of them. Start working on it. And the thing about that too is that like ant colonies aren't just hundreds of ants. There are thousands and tens of thousands of ants. So the fact that they scale it down this much the movie, I was watching it and like, I guess oh, it makes yeah. sense. You don't want to animate all of these thousands of ants that should be there. But at the same time, it's kind of a disservice to how large these colonies really are. I'm sure. I feel like they could have like happy mediumed this though and do a little bit of both. Like still animate 200 freaking ants, but then like still Cut do and a little paste. copy, <laughs> copy paste of the ants. Right. Yeah. A little bit more like oomph behind the ants. Of course, before all of these computer animation drawings came out, color scripts were created for every scene to actually tell the story's visual language. So I found some images online and they are 
absolutely stunning, like gorgeous watercolors that you would want to hang in your home. Okay, so this was, as I said, the second Pixar film, but it is Pixar's first film to have the logo with Luxo Jr. bouncing and squashing the letter I, and that appears after every Disney logo in Pixar films to come. But Toy Story doesn't have it. No, it does not. So I found that super interesting because that is such an iconic, take a drink, (laughs) a piece of Pixar media that like when you think Pixar, Luxo Jr. is synonymous. What's crazy about that too is this, while it is like you're saying the second Pixar movie, it's the first for a lot of the things that we know and love about Pixar movies and even some things that we might not have really noticed such as a really easy one is the 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 end at the end. We've talked about the end in our older Disney movies. This is the first Pixar movie to have it. But my favorite n- new thing they introduced with this Pixar movie were the bloopers at the very end during the credits. I mean, come on. That's amazing dedication so to the people who are watching this movie. That means they had to write all of these bloopers in addition to their regular scripts and they have to animate these bloopers in addition to their regular uh, movies. So that was great. You can even get extra bloopers on Disney plus and you get an extra three minutes, including a little Woody cameo holding our little clapper to start the take. So it's fantastic. I love the bloopers as a humongous Seinfeld fan, as I know the two of you are as well. Julia Louis-Dreyfus being in this movie, wonderful. But she was very well known for like messing up her lines and having to redo them and making herself laugh over and over again. So this was just a hilarious, like that's the first blooper scene that you see. And it's just a hilarious homage to Julia. Kind of going along modeling and doing homages to people. Something that I really liked about this is so for all of you who don't know, Steve Jobs was heavily involved with Pixar. Yes, Mm -hmm. the Apple Steve Jobs was very involved with Pixar. And I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more later on in one of my facts, but Hopper's hands gestures are all inspired by Steve Jobs hand gestures. So all of his, all of his hands moving not just two all of his hands moving are all based off of steve jobs hand movements which i just thought awesome i love that he was actually the ceo of pixar at the time so it was just like a fun little nod slash kind of making fun of steve jobs i mean if we're gonna kind of talk about pixar i did my my little my little dive it's a baby dive well it could i know what your dive is it could have been much bigger there's so much more to talk about I'm going to try. I'm going to try and give everybody Cliff Notes version of the drama because we know I like bringing up the drama. I brought it up during Nightmare Before Christmas. I bring it up as much as I can. It's fine. And so the drama that I want to talk about is Bugs Life versus Ants or Disney versus DreamWorks. Pixar got thrown in the bunch of this, but it's really a Disney versus DreamWorks argument. So in order to understand how this happened, why this happened, we have to go back just a little bit to kind of get a cast of characters here of real life. So we have a person named Jeffrey Katzenberg. And now Jeffrey Katzenberg was actually told that he was going to become Michael Eisner's right-hand man, essentially second in command to the CEO if Frank Wells ever stepped away. 
Tragically, Frank actually passed away in a helicopter accident. And after that, Jeffrey Katzenberg was not named to be second in command to Michael Eisner. Ooh, that's a bummer. Ouch. Yeah. Ooh, and it gets a little bit worse because they actually let him go. Not only did he not get the job, they let him go, which he then sued Disney for $270 million and won. Damn. That's kind of, that's impressive, especially with inflation adjustment. That's a, that's a hefty paycheck. That's a lot of money, which he then used to help make DreamWorks. So he left. He's like giving him a big old middle finger and was like, I'm out. Screw you guys, I'm making my own movie studio. I kind of want to be this guy's friend. That's like such a baller move. Not only is he going to take that much money, he's going to go start a competing studio that makes Shrek and other things that are amazing too. Like, Do you amazing. want to be his friend? Because what if you accidentally double cross him? Then you're really fucked. I don't have that much money. He can't sue me for that. Look, He'll still I- sue you. Ruin you. <laughs> it's all about your reputation. Exactly. To make this even more, give you a little bit more, peel the curtain back on who Jeffrey Katzenberg was for Disney, yikes, he's actually the exec that's responsible for getting Disney and Pixar together. So he has a relationship with Disney, he has a relationship with Pixar, and here's where the water gets a little choppy. Now, depending on who you ask in Hollywood, you're going to get different answers on this one. On when did the idea of bugs get pitched? And was Jeffrey Katzenberg there at the time? Some people say, yes, he was there. And he was very well aware that they were working towards creating a bug's life. Some say it was actually on the day that he left. But even still, he knew what was going on. And so he left and decided he was going to create ants. John Lasseter was friends with Jeffrey. I don't know if they were really friends, but... He was friends with Jeffrey Katzenberg and goes over to DreamWorks basically to congratulate him, talk about what's going on. And he finds out that DreamWorks is in the works to make ants. And John Lasseter is like, what the hell? Pixar is now involved with this drama because Pixar and Disney were not Disney Pixar at the time. It was Disney was an issue. DreamWorks was an issue and Pixar was an issue. So Lasseter got pissed. He got even more pissed when he actually read that this was all happening in a trade magazine and then had to go confront Jeffrey. It's getting real sticky here. Here's the crux of the problem. Prince of Egypt, which I love that movie, by the way. Same. It's a great movie. It's a Passover classic. Every year. Was supposed to be DreamWorks' first movie. That was supposed to be their first animated movie. It was going to be big. It was going to be amazing. Except they found out it was coming out the same time as Bugs Life. Ants wasn't supposed to come out until the following year. They then rushed it to get it out ahead of A Bugs Life. Ants took home $171 million worldwide. Not so bad. And A Bugs Life took home more than double that at $363 million. Yeah. Here's the thing of why that is. And in fact, some of the writers at Ants kind of even acknowledge that. Because Ants is actually geared towards adult humor, but it's written for kids. Like it's Mm. a kid's movie, but actually any of the jokes that are there are adult jokes. There's not any children jokes, really. Whereas Bugs Life has both because we've talked about that. That's what Pixar does very, very well is they toe that line between the two. Yes. I just would like to, you know, think back. And I wrote this down as well to Michael Scott, everybody, who says, 
I'm a huge Woody Allen fan, although I've only seen Ants. But I'll tell you something. What I respect about that man is that when he was going through all that stuff that came out in the press about how Ants was just a ripoff of A Bug's Life, he stayed true to his films, or at least the film that I saw, which, again, was Ants. The thing is, I thought A Bug's Life was better, much better than Ants. Point is, don't listen to your critics, listen to your fans. And you know what? I think that's a really good thing for us to just remember. (laughs) Good old Michael Scott coming in (laughs) court. You know, can we do a little Office Ladies uh, Disney Rewind crossover episode? Hmm? Oh my God. Dream collab right there. But yeah, I just, there's a lot of drama that then happened. This also was not the only time that DreamWorks released similar movies to Pixar. We got Finding Nemo and Shark Tale that came out at the exact same time. We had, this is real depressing, but Ratatouille and Flushed Away, both rap movies that came out at the exact same time. Rachel, thank you for taking us on that little dive there. You gave us a a little bit of a, a background on the cast of characters of this drama. There are so many great voice actors, but I'm going to go in and just give love to a couple of them if Please. I can. Please. There are so many. So if I skip over someone, it's not because I don't love them. Well, one of them is because I don't love them. This voice cast was really heavy with TV sitcom actors at the time. So again, this came out in 98. Flick was voiced by Dave Foley, who was in news radio. Princess Ada was voiced by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Seinfeld, of course. Molt was voiced by Richard Kind from Spin City. Slim was voiced by David Hyde Pierce from Frasier. And Dim was voiced by Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Obviously, Pixar is is aware that it is the parents that are going to be bringing their kids to these movies. And why not just get a star-studded cast of people that are already names in the house? P.T. Flea is voiced by John Ratzenberger. He is a Pixar legend. You have heard his name in, or his voice in almost every single Pixar film. I think he is in every single one. I don't think there's one he's not in. He holds a very dear place in my heart. You immediately recognize his voice as P.T. Flea. He has said about the role of P.T. Flea that it's his favorite Pixar role because, quote, In real life, I always get a kick out of those kinds of characters, people who just go into a rage for no explicable reason. He was always on edge, his blood pressure was always way over the top, and everything he did was done in a panicked state. So it was a lot of fun to play him. Hmm, I like that. I get that. Yeah. Very, very hysterical. Dot was voiced by adorable baby Hayden Panettiere, who you will most likely know from Heroes. (laughs) Heimlich the Caterpillar love him he is my spirit animal (laughs) can I just say (laughs) I love I'm like are you a beautiful butterfly I'm a beautiful butterfly (laughs) so he is voiced by Joe Ramph who I had mentioned was one of Pixar's lead story writers he received the role of Heimlich at the suggestion of John Lasseter's wife Nancy who heard him playing the character just offhand on a scratch vocal track and said hey don't audition anyone else for this. Joe should get this part. Wow. Yeah. That's high praise. And we know that Hopper is played by Kevin Spacey. There. That's all we need to say. That's it. Just leave it at that. Make it easy. But another actor who was approached many times for this role was Robert De Niro. Damn. They asked him several times and he turned it down 
several times. But why, Robert De Niro? You would have been great in this role. Oh, he would have been so good. I had one Easter egg that I kind of wanted to talk about now. Go for it. And this is because it's more of like a podcast Easter egg at this point. So as you know, as you go through a bug's life and you get to bug city, everything that all the buildings, all the everything are based off of, you know, trash, essentially to fill out bug city. And so what the circus is in and the traveling circus is in Casey Jr. cookie boxes, which is an homage, is an Easter egg to Dumbo. Now, my question is for you, Adina, how many Dumbo cameos and how many Dumbo Easter eggs and references are there in Disney movies? I feel like this is the most that we have seen. We have seen it in Great Mouse Detective. We've seen it in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We've seen it in Bug's Life. I feel like we might have seen it in like Pinocchio, which came out. We saw it in another movie. There was another Dumbo. I can't remember, but we keep seeing Dumbo references. And so I just feel like for us as a podcast, I want to track how many Dumbo references. Yeah. I mean, Dumbo is a weird movie. Like, why does everyone keep making references to it? Right. Maybe it's just very distinct. Like, you see an elephant, a circus elephant, you think Dumbo. I I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. I just, that was my one Easter egg. We can talk, there's to- tons throughout here, but I wanted to bring that one up. Like as more of a podcast Easter egg, we've seen so many Dumbo references in so many movies. That we have. Yeah. I hadn't even, uh, <laughs> hadn't even thought about that. I forgot about Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. There's a lot of Dumbo like, we references. We just talked about Roger Rabbit. So that one I remember. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very fun Easter egg, Rachel. Right for the like a podcast Easter egg. We haven't yeah. come up with any. We haven't come up with like a clever name other than your conspiracy board. Yeah, I mean it's definitely going on the board. How big is the board right now? I know there's been a lot of things oh, added to large. it. This board is giant. I mean, it's in your head. It is, but I have a huge wall in my hallway, and I think I want to actually turn this wall. It's my house. I own the house. Let's go grab some paint and just like turn this wall into my Disney conspiracy wall. And, you know, I think it could take up my entire hallway and I have no problems with that. I mean, if you do, you should take a picture, though, similar to It's Always Sunny with all the lines going across everywhere and just like the... I will literally dress up as Charlie and make the face and that will be like a Halloween costume. I say we just get into the movie. I agree. We open up with the scene of the ants gathering food and bringing it back to the colony. And I immediately, again, as a 28-year-old woman, I'm cracking up at the I'm lost scene of the leaf that falls to the ground. It's brilliant, though. It's so funny. It's amazing. What makes it better is this actually how ants kind of function. They follow pheromone trails of where to go and how it works. And if somebody blocks it, they sometimes do get confused. Like if you ever see ants walking in line, take your finger and smudge across it, they will panic and suddenly try to figure out where they're supposed to go until they find the pheromone trail again. If you actually ever have a fun occasion where you have ants or termites in a closed container, which for some reason, if you might have that cool, get a Bic blue pen, specifically Bic, and draw a figure eight. And if you dump certain ants or any termite onto it, they'll actually follow the figure eight pattern you draw or any pattern you draw on ink because the pheromones that they use for trails are almost identical to the sense of Bic pens and they'll follow it indefinitely. 
it's kind of nutty, kind of crazy, but also really cool to watch them just sort of go to figure eight pattern indefinitely because they're following the trail. But that's also really unfortunate because I personally love the smell of Bic pens. Like I love writing in them and like, I love that smell. So like, am I an ant? I'm not sure, but what exactly is the smell of a Bic pen? I'm not sure I could ever identify. I smelled it going, that's a Bic pen. You know, this is a Uniball. I'm sorry, I'm not Uniball. This is a gel pen. This is a Bic though. This is the good stuff. Wait, no, I'm serious. I could absolutely do that. If you put pen swatches in front of me and you just wrote with them, I could tell you different pens. I'm just imagining someone like breaking the pens of the ink onto paper and having you do like a blind sniff test to see which one's which. Yes, absolutely. I have a stationary obsession. I can tell you way too much, apparently, smells about all of them because like, I'm that weird kid, okay? I'm that weird kid who just huffs things they shouldn't huff, okay? I'm sorry. Oh, so that's why you are the way that you are. Just kidding. <laughs> yes. It all makes sense. Years of sniffing pens in childhood. Okay, well, apparently me and ants are one in the same. Go ahead, Adina. <laughs> okay, so we are being introduced to the members of the ant colony, specifically the queen and the princesses. And we see that the queen is holding what appears to be a pet of sorts. It's an aphid. aphid. What is that? You don't know what an aphid is? So, no, aphids are insects that they feed on the phloem or xylem, depending on the species, um, of plants. But it's actually cool because there are ants that have a mutualism with aphids, meaning that it's a relationship where they both benefit and that the ants actually feed and protect the aphids in response. The way that a lot of aphids feed is they'll actually tap into the part of the plant that has the high amount of nutrients. Um, it's sort of like sap. It's the really sugary substance. But because there's so little nutrient in it, since it's a negative pressure, so it flows into them. It's so much coming through that they have to go through a lot of it to get the nutrients. But what comes out of them is basically a super sugary substance. So basically, the ants will protect and sort of rear colonies of aphids. And the aphids will be able to feed on plants without in danger of being you know, eaten by predators. In response, the ants will actually ingest the remaining fluid the aphids don't need as a sugary substance as food. So the pet aphid actually, it's... Actually, in nature, it's pretty cool. There's a few places they do this in the movie. Also, with the mushrooms inside the anthill. Like, there are ants that cultivate mushrooms. Okay, but what's crazy about that is, so I love gardening, I love plants, and I go and get ladybugs to eat the aphids. So I feel like Francis, who we will meet later on, would not be a fan of this whole, like, pet relationship they have because wouldn't Francis want to eat the aphid? I mean, some of the praying mantis that's in relationship with the gypsy moth, the praying mantis would eat the moth in a heartbeat. You know, or the black widow would probably eat all the insects if it could. Maybe not the rhinoceros beetle might not work. I think it's a rhinoceros beetle. Might not work as well. But like the other insects, the black widow is going to go for all of them immediately. Well, she does mention that she is a widow many times over. I think, I think it's like her 12th husband. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's a black widow widow. <laughs> She's a black widow widow. Wow, that that was actually really cool. I did not know about the relationship between ants and aphids. I was cool. I dislike aphids. So that's cool. Well, if you want to go deeper even, so Princess Ada is named after so Ada is actually a genus of ants that are leafcutter ants, and leafcutter ants survive by they cut leaves and break it down and feed it to fungus and then eat the fungus as well and sort of harvest it. So it's in the, there's mushrooms you notice and fungus inside the anthill. So it actually might be the same species of ants, but those ants don't tend to be blue. So, you know, they also have, you know, three pairs of jointed legs instead of two, but who knows? I just want our listeners to know that both Adina and my jaw like dropped as he was talking about this. That was, oh my gosh, what? Okay. We got like three seconds into this movie. And I know, I we're, li- 
we're literally <laughs> less than a scene into this movie. Which is why I did not look into any of the bug things so that my mind could be blown this entire time. Same. <laughs> so then we zoom in on Flick, who is sh- trying to figure out his little invention to speed up the process of collecting grain. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we are introduced to Dot, the precious little sunflower, whom I want to hug and hold very tight. I know. She's so little and she can't use her wings yet. She's just like a little baby. She is just a little baby. And then she says the the cutest quote to Flick, you're weird, but I like you. And I say that to Adam all the time. <laughs> I think that it's, a, it's endearment. Like, you're weird, but I like you. So I'm going to then say then that's an Easter egg in Up. That's what young Ellie says to Carl. She says, you're weird, but I like you. You're right. <laughs> that's so like, that, that's up. Aww. So I was just like, oh, this is really cute. I wonder if this is said in more Pixar movies. So all of the ants are getting ready. The grasshoppers are coming to come and take all of the food that they collected. David is rolling his eyes and shaking his head. I mentioned earlier that I get triggered by some of these really like absurd things happening. Yes. The fact that grasshoppers would be taking food from ants that ants would be collecting for them as a concept. Like, for a movie, sure, let's break all of the rules of biology for it. Why not? But it's still very upsetting on so many levels. Well, like I said, it is loosely based off of an Aesop's fable, which is about a grasshopper trying to steal food that an ant has that the ants have collected. So that's probably where that idea comes from. But biologically, good to know that that could not happen. I say it's also likely that should grasshoppers try to steal from ant colony, that the ant colony would likely, uh, in a very gruesome manner, kill the grasshoppers. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen ants attack as a colony or defend their colony, but it's nasty. It's not fun. Everything from, they have some ants that are soldier ants, which basically are designed to protect the colony. Other ants have stingers, some bite. Um, ants are formicidaea. Uh, which is where we get formic acid because some of them actually have venom or a spray, which is formic acid to defend themselves in a colony. Um, if you have a colony of you know, 10,000 plus ants, sacrificing a few hundred ants to defend the colony is nothing, which means that these ants will go all out similar to a bee or a wasp colony and defend it. So the idea that these grasshoppers can bully the ants is still just like a novel concept in itself. Thankfully, ants can't really harm us, or most ants can't harm us, even in mass. Some of them can do some good damage. Okay, good to know. Hmm, I didn't think I was going to have nightmares tonight, but apparently I will. (laughs) Hooray! (laughs) Fine, just drink more wine. I will. As this is happening, Flick is the last one to come, and his invention knocks over the very terribly stacked rocks, and all of the food falls into the water below. The grasshoppers arrive, they are pissed, and they break their way into the anthill. And we are introduced to Hopper. Also, some hilarious other characters. Molt. Molt is the best. Richard Kind is incredible. Another hilarious character we are introduced to is um, Thumper. Thumper. I don't get Thumper. Is He, he looks like a zombie grasshopper. <laughs> like, that is how I have described him. He's scary, he's pale, he's rabid. We then hear Hopper tells the ants, you have until the last leaf falls to gather double the amount of food that you had just collected, double the rations, plus they still need to collect food for themselves before summer ends. 
So I have one of my cameos that's kind of, I think this is a good time to call it out. Okay. We're talking about the tree. That tree is used in two other Pixar movies. So the Ant Island tree is used in Toy Story 2 during Jesse's flashback during like the saddest song in the world in a Pixar movie. Uh, When Jesse does her flashback, we see Ant Island tree. And also that's where Carl and Ellie go. And they look at their clouds underneath the tree on Ant Island. So I just love that this tree makes a cameo in other Pixar movies so much. I love this tree. Absolutely. So Flick then gets this idea that he is going to go off into the world to find help. He's going to leave Ant Island, which nobody has ever left Ant Island before. So he gets ready to go off. He has an adorable little cap that is made of a leaf. And why is that not merch at Disneyland? Because I would definitely buy that hat. Oh, that'd be really cute. His whole little backpacking outfit. Ah. As an outdoors girl, I love it. I love it. Well, it also encompasses a really dark part of ants and entomology, too. He's going out to find specifically warrior bugs. It's kind of really on point, too, because there are some ants that they practice what's called kleptoparasitism which is a form of parasitism. They capture the brood or young of other ant colonies and basically force them as as slaves of their own colony. So he's going out to find warrior ants to work for them. Now, when this happens, usually the ants they capture end up like, you know, taking care of the anthill itself. But it's still kind of, I saw that and my first thought was, oh God, this is, they're going to parasitism. This is going to get dark really fast. And thankfully it doesn't in the movie, but that's actually a real thing that ants will raid other anthills and steal the brood and force them as slaves. And the ants that are slaves the, it's very specific of one species will parasitize another one, but it's done in such a way that the parasitized species doesn't know they're par- being parasitized. It's fascinating and terrifying. And the best part is called kleptoparasitism, which I think just makes it almost entertaining. That's the word they use. I see Dina laughing here. I like that that's the word, but that's the only thing I like about it. This took a very dark turn very quickly. <laughs> just saying, it's what he's doing is actually like something that happens in the real world. But do they wear cute little leaf hats? Unfortunately not. I would like to petition the ants for that in the future. And maybe some form of the evolutionary biology down the road would adopt the cute little leaf hats. But I'm not sure the advantages of that for survival. But you never know. Do they also get onto little dandelion leaves? I don't know. Dandelion spores? Spore? Spore? Do they also get on little dandelion spores to travel around? Not to my knowledge, but like there are some spiders that will make little balloons out of webbing and use that to float great distances. So we make it to Bug City. Yes. And there are so many fun little Easter eggs here. So the first thing is that you see where Flick is standing. He's looking out at all of the like storefronts and the signs. And you can closely see a sign for the Lion King on Broadway And if you were standing in Times Square, that's exactly where the Lion, like in 1998, that's exactly where the Lion King poster would be, which is so cool. That attention to detail, though. Chef's Chef's kiss. kiss. Another thing is that the names on the boxes in Bug City are all names of the writer's kids. So you'll see Juju's Litter, Hannah's Bananas, and PJ Pop. Those are just a few of the fun ones. Then we head to the circus. 
I'm going to call us back to Casey Jr. This is made, the, the Casey Jr. cookies are made by J. Grant Bakery, which is a callback to Joe Grant, who co-wrote the movie Dumbo. Also weird, this is not an Easter egg, but this is just a weird thing. I did a pause on the nutritional facts of the cookies. <laughs> if you're looking for a real fun uh, protein boost, have these cookies. They include 92 grams of protein per serving, and a serving is 12 cookies. However, you will be very heavily weighed down by the amount of fat, which 200 calories from fat per serving, uh, and 280 grams of sodium per serving. So all the yikes. <laughs> I kind of want to try a cookie just to see what would do to my no. body. No. It's got to be very salty. Oh. Then we we start to meet our little cast of characters. Our troop. We see P.T. Flea, which is obviously a reference to P.T. Barnum. Duh. We meet a lot of other characters. So we meet Tuck and Roll. So first off, they aren't actually insects. That's a different story. They're isopods. The issue I actually have with them applies to other bugs and insects in the movie is the use of eyebrows is terrifying. Tuck and Roll have some of those extreme eyebrow unibrow situations. I mean, the rhinoceros beetle also has them. Um, some of the ants selectively have eyebrows and like eye holes that are more expressed and other insects do too, but their eyebrows, I'm not sure if you were watching it during the movie itself, but when they're making their like little like, noises of like, yeah, sure. We'll go ahead with this. and talking to flick and other stuff. It gets a little weird. They're just sort of like just staring at him almost like Beetlejuice vibes. They're just like, all right, we're here. Eyes are wide open. <laughs> eyebrows are going up and down like crazy. It's just, it's, it's kind of terrifying. It's the stuff of nightmares, but of course the isopod version. <laughs> I mean, I understand why all of these bugs are anthropomorphized so oh, that sense. they are more lovable, but their eyebrows are weird. At the circus, we are also introduced to Manny, the praying mantis. And during Manny's act, there is a Chinese takeout box. And this Chinese takeout box also appears in several other Pixar films. It is in the Pizza Planet glove compartment during Toy Story. It is in Linguini's fridge in Ratatouille when he goes to get ingredients from his fridge to cook. And uh, it is also eaten by Riley and her family during Inside Out. Finally, the largest Pixar Easter egg that we see, this is in every single Pixar film, is, of course, the Pizza Planet truck itself, the big kahuna. So we see as we zoom out to see where Bug City is, we see the Pizza Planet truck next to a trailer. As David was re-watching this, David, tell me what you said. I, I'm watching this the day before we're recording this, just to make sure it's fresh in my mind and that I can really be fully triggered about all the insects. And I see this <laughs> truck and I'm looking at it and I, I paused it and I'm looking at it and I'm like, this looks so familiar. And I remember Adina mentioning this is the, the only previous picture film before this was Toy Story. And it's actually going, is that a Pizza Planet truck? Like, or am I just hallucinating this? And her response is, I don't know, is it? Which personally just messes with me more. It, it just goes to that level of like, oh, crap, is she actually like, is this what it is? Or is she just trying to get a rise out of me for the podcast or what's going on here? And I kid you not, I sat there for 10 minutes staring at the TV on pause, rewinding it by like three second intervals back and forth and just like, I guess it looks like it. I'm not sure. Maybe it is. I think it is. I have a picture with the pic the pizza planner truck, like me and the Here. actual truck. Um, so when I did one of my races, this was my half marathon at Disney, which was my final Disney race. It was Pixar themed. The entire weekend was Pixar themed. And so they had the pizza planet truck 
in your warm-up area. So I, dressed as a green alien man with my dad from nice. Toy Story, got our picture with the Pizza Planet truck. So I just wanted to share that since it's our Easter egg. I also have it as like an actual, they painted a truck, they got it all decked out, and it's the actual Pizza Planet truck in real life. Those are all the fun Easter eggs of Bug City. So why don't we just talk about what happens in Bug City? We we see all of the circus troupe. No, we should, we should. We see the failing circus oh, troupe. This is not a circus failing. troupe that is a successful circus troupe at all. No. But isn't half the fun is watching them fail because it's so bad it's good? Then we flash back to Flick who is looking for some tough warrior bugs. So where does he head? The bar. We get a lot of really funny one-liners. We see the mosquito drinking a drop of blood, which David has just gone back and is ready to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, I just love the attention to detail here. I'm not sure it was intentional or not, but it, it's worth noting that only female mosquitoes drink blood. Male mosquitoes don't. And they only do it right before they're about to mate or have a brood and lay eggs. Um, and the part of the detail that really makes me happy is that the antenna of the mosquito are distinctive to females. So female mosquitoes don't seek out mates. Male mosquitoes seek out female mosquitoes. So if you ever look up a male versus female mosquito, the antenna will have plumage. It'll be like, for the male mosquitoes, it'll be like sort of like a really bushy like antenna. So they have a lot of sensory uh, organs out there so they can make sure they can really pick up the scent and find a female. Since the females aren't searching for males, their antenna don't need that much sensitivity. So it's actually very much like a thin, straight antenna. If you look at the mosquito in this, it's the exact same way. Even though the mosquito may have a deeper sounding, more masculine voice. So I first thought was, oh, that's kind of weird. It's backwards. I rewound and looked again. It's like, actually, this is anatomically correct. This is great. They did it right. And of course, the joke itself is just amazing by itself. I, I watched it, died of laughter, paused it, rewind it, watched it again, kept laughing. To the point where my girlfriend was like, are you okay? He asked for Bloody Mary, and pods are O negative, and he drinks it in one, or they drink it in one gulp, and then just pass out immediately, just like over the bar, and, and balloons up as well. It's it's one of those things that just looking at it, having seen mosquitoes feed it, sort of like, this This seems accurate. I appreciate the attention to detail, and the person who wrote this joke, I hope got a raise. So I'd just be like, guys, I got the perfect joke here. It's a mosquito for a Bloody Mary. Give it some blood type, and just can balloon up and just keel over. Flick is in the bar and we are then seeing the a little kerfuffle happening if you will all flick is hearing is that there is some sort of a fight going on so the next thing that flick sees is our circus troop triumphant hilarious misunderstanding happens he says i am seeking bugs of your talent and they're like oh he's a talent scout cut to Flick and the circus bugs going back to Ant Island. Flick is like, I brought some warrior bugs that are going to help us save the day from Hopper and the grasshoppers. And everyone's like, oh my God, yay. And then they throw a giant party. I love this celebration so much. One, because it makes me think of being back at Disneyland and the parade that happens when you get to see A Bug's Life during, you know, Pixar Play Parade. Um, but also it's just so fun and seeing the the art show done by the thespian to say what the blueberries have done and how they depict what's going to happen. Um, I love this celebration. 
so much. And I just feel like, David, you are enjoying seeing what the depiction of the plan of how that's going to go down. The, the plan was great like. in terms of the bloodshed is accurate. It's more of the, I think it's funny is that, you know, should this uh, troop of insects, including voracious predators and some omnivores and some herbivores, were to show up an ant colony, the ants wouldn't be hiding. They would literally mount a colony defense and protect the colony by killing said insect troop or die trying. And so those things of like the fact they all go hide and scatter, let's see what's happening. In reality, it would be a pretty gruesome situation um, of ants trying to either bite, sting, or rip apart the insects they perceive as invaders. And the fact they just go, oh, hey, let's get together and you know, throw a party for you. Of course, it's Pixar, it's Disney, it's cute, it's adorable. Um, but the uh, depiction by the blueberries, I think is what they're called, of this battle where you have Heimlich cut in half at one point. I think it's the Black Widow is like standing with the spear, like all almost like Conan the Barbarian style. I think it was uh, the Black Widow. I'm not sure who it was over the grasshoppers. It, it's just it's one of those things that I'm like, looking at. It just it's it's too comical not to enjoy this perception of like you know come and be our saviors and here's what you're gonna do and how you'll do it. And you know we added the gruesome detail to make it more realistic. And Heimlich is there freaking out if I don't want to be cut in half and die, but. It's all fun. I mean, I like that they added in that one of them had to die to make it more realistic. <laughs> of course, there's time like who just goes and his pa- he goes pale so fast. Oh my god, love that so much. As our circus troupe is realizing, oh shit, they're expecting us to fight and die. They are freaking out and tell Flick like, "Hey, we're su- we're circus actors. Like, we don't do this." And Flick rushes all of them off stage i'm gonna say (laughs) so flick ushers them off to the side and they are basically for they're fleeing the circus is fleeing and flicks following them and they land on the other side of ant island did you say that pt flea's circus is fleeing yikes i did say that i apologize to our listeners and they get to the other side of they cross the dry riverbed and Flick, they all drop down and Flick realizes, oh, oh shit, we gotta go. We gotta go right now because he sees a bird's nest. And I love that tuck and roll, call it a tweet, 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 tweet. They're fleeing, but what they don't realize is that as Flick was ushering them to try and talk to them, Dot went after all of them. And so Dot is now on a dandelion spore and is floating away. And this bird has now found all of the bugs and in their own escape the bird has now diverted its attention over to dot which is terrifying terrifying so in this heimlich and slim distract the bird but they go and try and rescue dot and so francis in this rescue gets his leg stuck under a rock and dot pulls him to safety but the bird comes back and now is attempting to get both dot and francis so again, they have to go in for the save, distract the bird, and they do end up rescuing through a harrowing journey. They do end up rescuing Francis, Dot, Slim, and Heimlich, and everybody comes to safety, which makes them even like the warriors, I put in quotes for all of you listening, like the warriors even more because they show that they can save the ant. And if they can save one ant, they can save all of the ants bad logic bad logic everybody but it's a transitive property and so they they are brave but not in the way the same way that the colony thinks that they're brave and ferocious and warriors francis is recovering in in the ant hill 
he has his leg all bandaged up and the little blueberry troop comes in with their spotted capes because now they are Francis stands and it makes my heart so happy. <laughs> I love it so much. They're so cute and they never take those capes off. Then as they are all trying to figure out what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Flick has this realization. Hopper is afraid of birds. Yes. Yeah, so what are they going to do? They're going to build a bird. Of course. But I think it's important to note that Flick tells the warriors, the circus troupe, that this is the plan. And they, in turn, tell Princess Ada and she in turn. It's important to know that this isn't, this is Flick's idea, but the way that this gets given to everybody, promoted to everybody, this is not Flick's idea. So they go ahead, they make this diagram of the fake bird and actually it's looking quite believable in my opinion it looks great and here is where we get a nice little hidden mickey so when they are building the bird heimlich sits up puts his little feet together and they form two little hidden mickeys because he has six feet i thought you were gonna say this is where we get heimlich's line of i'm a beautiful butterfly so actually a bone to pick there specifically though so in this movie you have insects that have four legs, insects that have six legs. It was driving me nuts because all insects, by definition, have six legs. That is a qualifying characteristic. You know, we can talk about how they don't talk their mouths or mandibles, that they talk by either pheromone trails or chemicals or by acoustics made through the tibula with making sounds to communicate like grasshoppers do. But it, they don't vocalize. It's fine. We'll anthropomorphize them for the movie. I get it. We're cool. But I was really upset about this, that you know the ants have two legs and two arms are missing two appendages, but the grasshoppers have all of them and the other insects in the troop have all of them. It's so frustrating. So I looked it up and apparently the reason why they gave the ants only two arms and two legs is to make them more appealing towards the audience, more friendly, more likable, which is just upsetting that, you know, we're going to change the ants' basic anatomy to make it happier for people. But everyone who's a bad person or a one of the circus bugs slash warrior bugs is going to be anatomically correct, ex except for the Eyebrows, of course, which are just a whole other conversation itself. Can I point out that David is doing some like little deep dives and doing some facts on why that something is the way that it is in the movie. And that's what we look for on this podcast is everyone to contribute. Now we cut to the grasshoppers who are in bug Mexico? Question mark. Hey, they are playing La Cucaracha. <laughs> okay they're playing la cucaracha and dancing here's my complaint though about this scene if i'm allowed to go there about bug mexico that's what i'm calling yeah. it yeah yeah why are there no cockroaches like <laughs> with la cucaracha you could have this amazing easter egg again for adults and have cockroaches playing the instruments cockroaches being there cockroaches doing anything why yes. are there no cockroaches for la cucaracha Missed opportunity. But that being said, I do appreciate the attention to detail that they're all of the waiters and the bartender and the uh, musicians are all mosquitoes. And it's important because outside where the person is, I guess, water skiing barefoot or whatever that is they're doing with the mosquitoes pulling in, it's stagnant water. And mosquito larvae, well, so mosquitoes are semi-aquatic insects, meaning that they live part of their life in the water, part of their life out of the water. So as the immature state, mosquitoes live in the water specifically stagnant, they can't live in running water, it's stagnant water. So it's actually the right environment for mosquitoes to 
breed, flourish, and develop into the adult stage. So it actually makes sense. But I agree, it is frustrating that cockroaches are not there playing a cucaracha. Like it's it's a missed opportunity. But at least they put like mosquitoes there for that instead of like some other random insect that has no place being in that situation. I definitely knew that about mosquitoes. As somebody who's very, very like sensitive to mosquito bites, I am aware of where mosquitoes hang out, where they live their life, so I can avoid those places at all possible. So the grasshoppers are trying to get Molt to convince Hopper that they should not go back to Ant Island, that they have all the food they need and wherever they are here. Who who cares about the one ant that stood up to you? It doesn't matter. And then Hopper's like, oh, yeah, that's a great point. Not. But his description of how the ants individually are weak, but as a colony are strong is like point on why colony defense as a concept works. And watching that, I'm like, way to take a very complex idea of colony defenses and how it works and make sure the colony can survive and break it down to the most simple of terms. It was good. It was a good explanation. And it was a good villain monologue as well. Like from a movie standpoint, I think that because you bring up this point, like we have all of this food, why are we doing it? I think from a movie standpoint, I'm glad that it makes sense from an insect standpoint as well. But from a movie standpoint, I also very much liked that scene quite a bit. I think the actor delivered the lines very, very well. Unnamed actor. Yep. So we then cut back to Ant Island. The bird is almost ready and the ants are mulling about. We have a cute little scene between Flick and Princess Ada, little love scene. And then the lookout bugs are saying, oh, like something's going on here. Ooh, but when they say this, actually, they say, I have a question. They say Jiminy H. Cricket. I was going to ask you the same thing. What is the H? (laughs) I Googled it. And let me tell you, I could find nothing about this. I Well, because here's the thing. People do say Jesus H. Christ. What's the H? I don't know. I didn't go that deep into Jesus. (laughs) We're Jews on this podcast. I didn't. It's not our strength here. No, it's not. But I, I don't know. So it's an homage to the fact of people saying Jesus H. Christ is all I could get to. But it really bothered me that they said Jiminy H. Cricket. I think it's just the Jesus H. Christ. I know. But then at least, come on, Disney, Pixar, have some sort of media that tells us what the H is. I did a lot of research on that today. Could it be holy? But do people say Jesus, holy Christ? I don't know. As the lookout bug is saying Jiminy H. Cricket, we don't know why, we see that it is not the grasshoppers, but it is in fact P.T. Flea. And the jig is up. He has found them and says, oh, those are my circus bugs. What are you talking about? They're not warrior bugs. Like, y'all are tripping. I asked my parents what the H stands for in Jesus Christ. Um, In the group chat, my dad said, no, that makes sense. He's Jewish. Um, (laughs) Well played, good sir. Well played. My mom then sent four texts in a row. She first said, huh? And then said, hankering? (laughs) Then she said, holy. So that's two. Uh, All right. All right. Super holy. But then she circled back and we backslid here and said, hot diggity dog. So 
I love your parents. Jesus, hot diggity dog. Christ, might be a new level of just like exclamation of like, wait, what? Jesus, hot diggity dog. Christ. I mean, that could be it. I don't know. I don't understand my parents. (laughs) So as I said, the jig is up. The circus bugs are leaving with P.T. Flea. And Flick is obviously very sad. They're like, okay, like all the other ants are like, let's go back to our original plan. Let's get as much food as we possibly can for the grasshoppers before they arrive. Like, look, Flick done fucked up again. Well, because here's at the moment where Francis accidentally says, well, Flick says the bird will work. So Mm. now everybody's real pissed because it comes out in all of this that not only are they not warriors, but this idea to have a bird to scare Hopper wasn't even their idea. It was Flick's idea and they don't like Flick. So now the circus insects are gone and Flick goes with them because he's no longer wanted with the colony. The colony essentially is banishing Flick. They want him to leave and never come back. But all, all that set though, like birds eat insects. It's a logical conclusion that the insects be scared of birds. So it's not a bad idea. No, but Hopper is particularly afraid of birds because a bird almost ate him. And that is why his right eye is scratched. So they all get banished. And in this, as they leave, we see the last leaf fall from the tree. Oh, no. So the grasshoppers come back. They see that there is not a lot of food left. And... They are like, okay, you're going to go and gather all of the food on the island and give it to us. And the ants are then like rounded up and I hate it so much. But the blueberries are able to hide in their little hidey hole. I love this. I fucking love that part though. No, no, it's legitimately because there are ants that actually do have a... um, relationship with plants let me find my notes on this exactly give me a quick second so it's a mutualistic relationship with ant species specifically i'm going to butcher this um alamaris decimarticulatatus lives in the pockets of the host plant which i'm not going to try to pronounce between the plant leaf and the stem specifically where they meet they can create little pockets there and live in that area as protection when they're not foraging for food so it actually oh. is beyond accurate that, that being said, it's upsetting because these ants that have been shown are not only leafcutter ants, based on the name from Ada, they're also slave ants that, you know, enslaving other species to go do that, at least in some part with finding the warrior ants for them. There's other species of ants that live inside of plants, but, like, I appreciate the attention to detail because there are ants that do this. It's just not ants that do all of these things at the same time. Okay. But I saw that and I'm like, ah, oh, this is real. I remember this from college. It was great. While they are in there, we also see Hopper tell the queen, you're coming with me. So everybody else has scattered to go get food. They're all being rounded up, except for the queen is being forced to be with Hopper at all times. Yes. And then the blueberries over here from two grasshoppers that Hopper's plan is once all of the food is collected... Hopper is going to squish the queen. Which is brutal. It's accurate, though. Like, what's they going to do? They're going to squish and they're going to bite. Like, at least they're accurate there. So Dot is like, I'm going to go get Flick. He's going to go get our friends. And they are going to come save the day. 
So Dot is running away from the grasshoppers and she's trying really hard to use her little baby wings. And then finally she's able to get them to work. And it's Which, so satisfying. It, it, it's satisfying, but I also have to throw in here some more entomology information here. There's a joke in entomology that insects don't take fall damage. You know, a joke from people who play video games that, you know, you fall from point A to point B. If it's above a certain length, you take your character takes damage, gets hurt or dies. Insects don't take fall damage because the weight of the insect is negligible when compared to the air resistance they're falling, which is why if you were to take an insect and chuck it as hard as you could from a 100-story building down at the ground, most insects won't actually be hurt. Really? You know, it's because the, the air resistance compared to their body weight They'll hit terminal velocity at a point where even the impact won't be harmful to them. You know, there's no reason Dot should be afraid of falling, with the exception of not knowing what's below, but that assumes the ant has sentient consciousness of the idea of the unknown. So Dot, again, she gets her wings to move, and she is going after Flick. Meanwhile, we cut back to the grasshoppers who are, like, basically slave-driving our ants, and one of them says, move your abdomens. Do ants have abdomens, David? They Wait, do. he said that. He said that, that they're made up of three parts. The something, the thorax, and the abdomen. Right. Is it the, the head? Head, thorax, abdomen. No, seriously. Rachel, you're on point. I'm sorry. I've had a lot of this wine. Me it's too. A good wine. It's <laughs> a great wine. Right? Look, I'm sorry. Rachel has a photographic memory. I, I do, do not. <laughs> so Dot catches up to the circus folk and Flick. That's just what I'm going to call them now because... The circus Otherwise, folk. I'm gonna say circus animals. So she gets him very like she hits him right in the feels, give him a good like punch of guilt. Uh so they turn around, they leave PT Flea all by his lonesome and head back to Ant Island. So the the ants have all have gathered all of the food that they possibly can. There is a a quote unquote celebration. The grasshoppers are holding all of these ants hostage, making them watch this celebration of sorts. And the circus bugs are performing as a lovely distraction tactic. As Flick takes the wonderful blueberries, our unsung heroes of the film, up into our fake bird. Say so two things here. First off, I'm sad the second grade troop doesn't perform their uh, play again about the grasshoppers dying. <laughs> It's a great distraction. But second off, in the performance, we see something that happens multiple times. The gypsy moth is flying, which, as an entomologist, I look at the gypsy moth and I'm like, something feels wrong about this. Like, there's something that's not quite right. But if I recall correctly, female gypsy moths' wings don't let them fly, actually. Only male gypsy moths fly, and females don't. And if I understand correctly, the gypsy moth in the movie, whose name I'm blanking on completely. Gypsy. Um, oh, it's Gypsy. Of course, of course. What else would it be? Looking at this, I was sort of frustrated by that too. How like you know, oh wow, the gypsy moth is flying, but it's a female gypsy moth who shouldn't be able to fly. So now we're at the end of the movie, and the blueberries, led by Flick, are steering our our fake bird to scare away the grasshoppers. And it's very precarious, and you know they're flying back and forth. The grasshoppers are scared. And then P.T. Flea goes and ruins everything and oh, yes. sets things on fire. I mean, real bird. yeah, but if you think it's a real bird, like P.T. Flea's not in on it. They probably should have let P.T. Flea know like, 
hey, sorry we t- tied you up, but I'm going to tell you this plan so that if something bad happens, like, don't fuck it up. Like, I feel like PT, they done goofed by not telling PT Flea, you might see a bird, you are safe. That's all they should have said. There will be a bird, you are safe, don't freak out. But he freaks out and lights the bird on fire. Fair. So Hopper figures out this is a fake bird and he gets pissed off. And then he and Flick get into a nice little fist fight. Fisticuffs, if you will. <laughs> Fisticuffs, yes. And obviously, Flick is a much smaller bug. So he is beaten up. But he's saying, like, we are strong together and gives this very empowering speech. And then there is an ant uprising against the grasshoppers. Which I have to say it's nice to see the ants which have biologically learned the concept of colony defense in this movie actually applying it. It's those moments of even though it's only 200 ants is like the maximum of the animator, like maybe it's a few hundred ants, when it should be a few thousand, it's good to see, hey, they finally actually are doing what they've learned through evolution of the last few thousand years in effect. It's nice to see like, hey, it's working. I loved it. I love that Molt gets so scared that he literally jumps out of his skin. So then it starts to rain. This was gruesome. Like, to be completely honest, watching this rain, like, plop on down and disturbing, very disturbing to watch. In my head, I'm like, there is enough of a struggle going on without the rain. Why do they need to add a second element of scariness? (laughs) Right? I don't know why they're like, oh, the clouds are coming in. They'll destroy the bird. That's bad. Like, I don't want any of that rain at all it was very very disturbing flick and ada lure hopper away from everything they realize that hopper like if as long as hopper's there this is going to be bad so if we can get hopper to follow us they go across and so they get across and flick has this realization of i know there's a bird's nest right around here so i am going to take us and i'm going to lead hopper to the bird's nest. And so Ada, Flick, and Hopper all go there, which then gets to Hopper going into his order, big monologue, his big villainous monologue about the order of things, yeah. which then... Oh, wait, before you get to that, though, you're missing an important part about ant colony defense, though. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry that you're I'm missing, missing ant thing. colony defense. So the the ants in this movie sort of carry Hopper away and sort of throw him to the ground, and then he follows Flick and Ada across the ravine towards the bird nest, right? So I just said. Right. The (laughs) issue is that the ants wouldn't be so nice in real life. They would likely, for lack of a better term, either bite Sting him to death or rip him limb from limb and kill him at the spot. The fact that in this movie they're being nice enough to let him be eventually eaten by said bird is, I guess, like on one hand, like, being nice but also like not so nice are they being nice though because i feel like that like you got, get it over with sooner rather than having a bunch of birds mm. eat me i think that we've established these are pacifistic ants who would rather let other things befall their enemies as opposed to actively doing it themselves hopper meets this terrifying death which, good. I mean, death by adorable birds is kind of cute. Just going to be honest. And cut to happiness time. 
Ada is now crowned the new queen of the colony and gets mommy's crown. And the circus troupe is off. They're getting ready to go. And except. Except for Heimlich. And they're like, where is Heimlich? And oh my God, he emerges from a cocoon as a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> it's a monstrosity. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're going to have to add a picture to Instagram and social media about what Heimlich looks like when he comes out of that cocoon, because I think it is a monstrosity. So so Heimlich, I looked this up, actually, so I was figuring out what kind of caterpillar or butterfly Heimlich was, because it was very upsetting to me. I couldn't figure this out for a while. So Heimlich is apparently a lime caterpillar, which is a type of swallowtail butterfly, which looks nothing like this monstrosity of a caterpillar with, like, duct taped wings onto it basically <laughs> that are a millionth the size of its body it's just like oh we're just gonna fly away casually which he doesn't actually fly at the end which makes it a little bit better but also a caterpillar with wings it, it just doesn't work it's not how it works it's not, one it's not i'm right. really glad that he's physically unable to actually fly two i'm getting some really strong very hungry caterpillar vibes here oh yes like 100 percent but yes, it's absolutely absurd, and I love it so much. And then as the circus troupe is leaving, the rest of the ants are using Flick's little device to set up little grain fireworks. It's adorable. It's so it's cute. Adorable. They realized what the ants, the message of the movie is that you don't always have to do it the same way just because it's always been done that way before. You can try something new. You can innovate. And in that innovate, you might fail. But through that failure, you can create really cool grain fireworks. So (laughs) I think think there's a really great message for just the people through this movie. I think that's a great message. Like, you know, you don't have to do everything the way that it's always been done. If you think you have a better way of doing it, try it. And if it doesn't work, okay, at least you tried. But if it does work, fantastic. And that is the wonderful note that we're going to end this movie on. (laughs) As the three of us have all almost completely finished this bottle of wine. (laughs) It's good wine. It's good it's wine. Very good wine. I am very happy with my pick of wine, and oh, I think it actually goes really well with this movie. Like, I just, of course, drinking this wine, everything seems more fun. But I think learning about how actual insects would react, I need a good wine to get me through that because I got horrified throughout this podcast recording. So I think this wine was a very good pairing to my horror. And I I mean, this was very fun to learn and to drink a lot. What, what are you talking about? Um, I will say, again, our 2021 wine picks have been fire spot on fire this was a super fun movie and i'm very glad that we did have someone who actually knew things about insects yeah. to join us this was super fun david thank you for joining us as we went through this movie i'm so glad you were able to impart your your knowledge of insects my, my traumatizing us. knowledge um your traumatizing <laughs> knowledge onto us and it was listeners. amazing it was <laughs> thank you this was really really cool to learn all of this i hope everybody listening learned something new in this podcast so thank you so much for your time this was amazing
As we are rounding out this episode of the podcast, we are looking ahead to episode 15 here. Rachel, please tell us what movie we are going to be discussing next time. I'm very excited for this movie. I love this movie. We are actually moving back to the Disney Renaissance. So we're going to say goodbye to Pixar for a little bit. And we're going to say hello again to the Disney Renaissance. And this this next movie will come out at a very festive time. So I'm very excited. They have some parallels in their festivities. We are going to talk about a hunchback of Notre Dame. And Yay! I am so excited. I love this movie. The music in this movie is just like is incredible. So I'm thoroughly excited for this movie. I love this movie. I have a very funny story about this movie that I'm gonna share next week. Oh good. Um but yes. Mardi Gras is coming up, so this is a perfect pick. Absolutely. So I want to say to everybody, Adina, David, I think all that's left to say is cheers. 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 Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y. R-E-W-I-N-E-D dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Disney Rewind. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And finally, you can send us an email at DisneyRewind at gmail.com. Again, that's Disney Rewind, D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>